Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, this time that you have given us to gather together as a community, as Mishpacha, to worship in your presence, to interact with you and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word received, your word heard, your voice heard, that nothing will be, be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose, and that you will have your will and your way in our lives. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Um, as we've uh, been talking for the last several weeks, we are currently in a period of time on the Hebrew calendar in which we read what are called the Haftorot of Consolation, the seven messages of consolation, the seven messages of Isaiah, uh, our Haftorah reading uh, each week for the seven weeks between Tisha B'Av and uh, Rosh Hashanah are, the, are, are passages from Isaiah, uh, specifically Isaiah 40 through roughly Isaiah 60, uh, 61, that area. Um, and uh, the, the reason we read these passages is if we pay attention to them, it's the Lord reminding us of his faithfulness, reminding us of his love, reminding us of his dedication to us, reminding the nation of Israel and the people that he is going to bring them back no matter what happens and he's going to restore them. And this is a really important message for the Jewish community as a whole for us to grasp and to hold on to and to cleave to because we are reading these passages of Scripture, these passages of Isaiah, immediately following Tishbab, in which we remember and mourn the destruction of the temple not once but twice because of our own sins, because of our leaving uh, and walking away from our relationship with the Lord and honoring His Word. And so as we move through these uh, Haftorah Parshot, what we're reminded, being reminded of is God's faithfulness in spite of our lack of faithfulness at times, of His continued faithfulness to us. Um, and so this is where we find ourselves this week. We're in Parsha A, so we're in the third of the Haftarot of Consolation. Um, and if you'll open up with me uh, back to our Torah Parsha, we're going to begin with a passage from our Torah Parsha in Deuteronomy 12. Uh, Parsha A is actually uh, Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 16, 17. But we're going to begin with a small passage from Deuteronomy chapter 12 to set up where we're going in the direction uh, that the Lord is speaking this morning. Beginning with verse 1, these are the statutes and ordinances that you are to make sure to do in the land that Adonai, your God, uh, Adonai the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. All the days that you live on, on the earth, you must utterly destroy all the places where the nations that you will dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you are to tear down their altars, smash their pillars, burn their Asherah poles in the fire, and cut down the carved image of their gods. And you are to obliterate their name from that place. You are not to act this way toward Adonai your God. Rather, you are to seek only the place Adonai your God chooses from all your tribes to put his name to dwell. There you will come. Uh, and then continuing through to verse 11. Then the place Adonai your God chooses to make his name dwell, there you are to bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, the offering of your hand, and all your finest vows, uh, vow offerings that you uh, vow to Adonai. They, then you are to rejoice before Adonai your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your slaves and maids, 
and the Levite in your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offering in any place you see, rather to do so, rather do so only in the place Adonai chooses in one of your tribes, that you are to offer your burnt offerings, and there you are to do all that I am commanding you. Uh, this is a really important thing for us to grasp because when we look at the nations, the, the peoples that exist in the land of Canaan where Israel was going into dispossess, where they were going to be taking the land of promise that was given uh, by covenant with the Lord to the, our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, it's important for us to recognize that these pagan cultures in the land of Canaan worshipped their gods and sacrificed uh, to their gods wherever they felt like it. They, on a mountain, they'd set up an altar under a tree and a sheriff pole, whatever it was, anywhere that they wanted to, they would worship their gods. And the Lord was calling Israel specifically to not be like the nations that he was dispossessing in the land of Canaan, uh, the land that he was giving to Israel. He specifically called us to be set apart righteous and holy, to be different from those around us. And so as we look at the word of God, we recognize that he says, now listen, when you go into the promised land, when you settle, when you find peace, when things are working the way they're supposed to, then I I will reveal to you the place that I have chosen for my name to dwell among you. It is a place that is going to be in a particular tribe of Israel's property, their territory, and that will be the only place that you go to worship. So the, we, we recognize now, having the ability to look back 20, 2020 through uh, uh, hindsight, uh, we recognize that the scriptures are speaking of Yerushalayim, of Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of peace, where the Lord has in fact etched his name and where his presence dwelled in the temple, uh, both temples uh, before Israel and where Israel would go to make their sacrifices, where Yeshua uh, went and ministered and, uh, and operated in, etc. And as we look at this, we can look back and recognize this, but for the nation of Israel, prepare to go into the promised land, they weren't really sure where this was going to be yet. The Lord hadn't given clear understanding toward that yet. So as they're out and about and they're moving through the wilderness, they go into the promised land, they begin to take the land, they begin to make their homes, they begin to get things in order. They actually set the tabernacle up in Shiloh, which is up in the north. And you can actually go to Tel Shiloh today in, uh, in Samaria in the north of Israel and go visit where the tabernacle stood for 370 some odd years. And it's a really awesome experience to stand on the dirt that the tabernacle stood on. Uh, it's a really powerful experience experience to be there. But we recognize that while the tabernacle was there, that was where we went to make our sacrifices and to serve the Lord. But it wasn't the location that the Lord had prescribed for his presence to dwell, for his name to be written among his people. And so as we move toward the Davidic kingdom, we then see the Lord start to bring that to Jerusalem and make his name known there and everything else going on. So as we look at the nation of Israel in the promised land, we recognize that it wasn't too long after the death of Solomon that especially the northern kingdom had already started to go against what the Lord says here. They weren't so concerned about going down to Jerusalem, the city where the Lord had placed his name in order to make sacrifices. They weren't so concerned about getting rid of the high places and the altars of and Asherah poles and so on of the nations around them, of the people that had lived in the land before them. They weren't so concerned about only serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. They were perfectly fine just blending in and assimilating with the discombobulation of a mess of people that lived around them, the very same people that they did not rid the land of as they were prescribed by the Lord to do. And these were some of the very same issues that ends up causing the nation of Israel to be dispossessed from the land uh, for brief periods of time for 70 years when the first temple was destroyed and then uh, quite some time longer, almost 2,000 years uh, after the, uh, the second temple was destroyed. 
But what we end up seeing is that Israel quickly began as a whole, not just the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom became guilty of it too, quickly began to, uh, to follow after the people of the land of Canaan that they had dispossessed. They began to serve other gods. They began to do things the Lord had prescribed not to do. And so this is why we find ourselves in the situation that we did with the Babylonian captivity of Israel, with the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, with Israel being uh, uh, pushed out of the land. And this is why we find ourselves every single year following Tisha B'Av leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the days of awe and Yom Kippur, the day of repentance, in which we are focusing on the Haftarot of Consolation, the seven messages of Isaiah, in which the Lord is reminding us of his love and of his faithfulness in spite of everything that we have done to him and against him, uh, that he is reminding us of his faithfulness. So we go to Isaiah 54, beginning with verse 11. This is a Haftarah reading for this week. Isaiah 4, beginning with verse 11. Uh, and so it says, afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconsoled, behold, I set your stones in antimony, lay your foundations with sapphires, make your pinnacles of rubies, and gates, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by Adonai, your children will have great shalom. Now, sounds really awesome, right? This sounds like a really cool experience. Sweet, our kids are going to return back to the Lord. He's going to personally teach them. But what we've got to understand is this isn't just speaking of the physical return of the nation of Israel to the promised land. This is literally prophecy of what would be awaiting us in the eternal kingdom of Adonai. This is almost an exact description of what we read in other passages of what heaven will look like of the, the, the new Jerusalem uh, and uh, the, the, the new temple that will descend upon the earth and so on and so forth. And, and all of that and the Lord saying, listen, in spite of all of this, you're mine. I love you. And here's what I'm going to do in your city, Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen to place my name upon. And why was it so important that he chose that particular city to put his name upon? Because the, as we say all the time when we're, we're uh, repeating what's called the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have the temple here on earth. We have the tabernacle here on earth. The, the, the temple resided in Jerusalem. His presence dwelt in Jerusalem. Israel worshiped in Jerusalem. And just like that in the new Jerusalem in heaven where the heavenly temple exists, where the, the, the temple, the tabernacle that Moses was commanded to model the tabernacle here on earth after, when all of this uh, is happening, that is what, where his name literally resided. That is where his uh, name was literally resting among his people. More specifically, the Holy of Holies here on earth was a, a mimic of, a foreshadowing of, a reminder of the Holy of Holies in heaven where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat was the literal throne of God. And so when we talk about Jerusalem being the city where he's placed his name, it's because it's a mirror image of Jerusalem in heaven, or at least it should be a mirror image of the new Jerusalem in heaven that we are awaiting uh, to, to experience. And so as we look at this, we see his name uh, literally residing in the, the new Jerusalem in heaven, and his desire was for his name to reside in the Jerusalem here on earth as well. And so as we look at this, he says, listen, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to rebuild you, and things are going to be grand. And if we look at the literal re restructuring of Israel, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and then moving towards Herod's kingdom, we realize that to some degree there was sort of a fulfillment of this in the ornateness and the beauty of the redesigned Jerusalem and the redesigned temple and the palaces and everything that existed in, in Israel at that point in time. So there's almost a literal fulfillment of this with the restoration of the nation of Israel uh, before leading up to Herod's kingdom uh, and Herod's temple. But in particular, 
we see that this is speaking specifically of the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. As we go through to verse 14, it says, In righteousness you will be established, you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear and from terror, for it will not come near you. Behold, any, anyone fiercely attacking is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you and uh, will fall because of you. Behold, I created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its work, and I created the destroyer to ruin." No weapon formed against you will prosper, and you will condemn every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of Adonai's servants. Their vindication is from me. It is a declaration of Adonai. And then verse 1 of 55. Uh, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for uh, what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The trustworthy loyalty of David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will summon a nation you do not know. A nation that did not know you will run to you because of Adonai your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now, before we can get to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the new heaven and new Jerusalem descending on the earth, we first had to get to the Holy One of Israel. We first had to get to the salvation of the nation of Israel, the salvation of the Jewish people and of the nations. We had to first come to Messiah Yeshua. Because leading up to Messiah, we were nothing but fallen people that were going to continue to fall over and over and over again. The Lord called us to be an example to the nations of his righteousness, but instead we lived by the example of the nations and ungodliness. And so we had to be restored through the blood atonement of Messiah. And when we look at Yeshua, and I fervently believe this passage in Isaiah 55 is speaking specifically and blatantly of Yeshua. That this passage pointing directly to him as the Holy One of Israel. He is the lineage of David, the king in the order of, Mal uh, of, of uh, our King David. He is the, the literal Malchitzedek, the king of righteousness who reigns over the, the kingdom or the city of Shalom, the city of Jerusalem. And he tells us in John, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. All who are thirsty, come. And we recognize the beauty of these words of Isaiah pointing us directly to Yeshua because in order for us to be restored in true faithfulness to the Lord, we had to return in repentance and in salvation. Before Israel could be restored uh, post the Babylonian captivity, the nation of Israel had to return to the Lord in repentance and teshuvah. We had to give our hearts back to the Lord. When we look in Ezra and Nehemiah, we look in Daniel, we look in, in uh, the, the, the prophets that existed during the Babylonian captivity and leading up to the rebu rebuilding of Jerusalem, we recognize that that was exactly what the heart of Israel was. It was a heart crying out before the Lord and mourning because of the things we allowed to happen crying out to the Lord because we have chosen to walk away from him and we want to be restored in faithfulness to him. We see Daniel, we see uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, we see all of these prophets of old that cried out to the Lord longing for the restoration of Israel, the restoration of Jerusalem. And that's just exactly what came. So predicating the rebuilding, the restructuring, the reestablishment of Israel 
came first the repentance of Israel. As a matter of fact, as we read through Isaiah and even looking at the blessings and curses as we move a little further into Deuteronomy and the blessings and curses of 20, Deuteronomy 27 to 30, the Lord says, if you walk in my, in my commandments, if you listen to my word, all of these things, these blessings will come upon you. And if you don't, all of these curses will come upon you. And if those don't get your attention and you continue to walk contrary to me, then all of these curses will come on you. And if that doesn't get your attention and you continue to walk contrary to me, then all of these will come upon you. And he says, ultimately, all of this is just to get you back to me. All of this is just to get you to turn back. And I think about my own children when I have to, uh, to, to punish my children because they're acting up or they're doing something they're not supposed to do. And I have to get onto them. Uh, it's not because I want to, to, to get onto them. It's not because I want to punish them. But it's because I want them to recognize that what they're doing, the path they're walking, the direction they're going is wrong. And they need to turn back around in the way that they know to live, to act, and to be. Uh, in the way that they know to honor me and to honor their mother. And this is what the Lord was doing to Israel. Imagine it's, uh, the, the, the Babylonian captivity, as bad as it was, was in essence God smacking Israel on the rear end, right? It was uh, uh, God trying to take their, their, their tablets away or their uh, game systems away or, or grounding them or whatever you know, punishment your parents favored. That was what the Lord was doing to Israel and trying to get their attention and get them to come back. But he says, listen, no matter what, I love you. I cherish you. We actually go back in chapter 54, uh, one verse back to verse 10, right before this Haftorah Parsha. It says, though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not depart from you, nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. So the Lord's saying, look, I don't care what you do. I don't care how far away from you walk. My love will never fade. I am ever compassionate and faithful to you. And I know you will come back. It may be a while and it may be a struggle for you and it may take you hitting rock bottom before you fall on your face before me again. But I know you'll come back. And I want you to come back and I love you and I want to restore your city, your holy city. But as we look at Israel having to go in Teshuvah and repentance before the Lord would allow the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, in the same sense, it takes the same for our own lives. It takes repentance, it takes teshuvah, it takes a return. And that can't happen short of the promised Messiah of Israel. As we read here in Isaiah 55, this promised Redeemer who would come, uh, he says in verse 1, Everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the trustworthy loyalty to David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the people. Behold, you will summon a nation you do not know, a nation that did not know you will run to you because of Adonai your God and the Holy One of Israel. This is Yeshua Mashiach, for he has glorified you. And this is literally what was happen has happened because of Yeshua. Not only has those of the nation of Israel, those of the blood descendancy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my Jewish people in, in large numbers over the last two, two millennia come to faith in the Lord, not the totality, unfortunately, as some still remain blind to the reality of Yeshua's Messiah. But there has been enormous numbers of Jewish people over the years that have come to faith. We can go back to the first century and see the vast, overwhelming reality of Jewish people that came to the Lord. 3,000 in one day in Acts 2, and hundreds added every day thereafter, etc., etc. We look in Acts 10 as literally the nations 
who did not know Israel start to come. We realize today that this is exactly what's happened. As the people of Abraham come back to the Lord through the blood atonement of the Holy One of Israel, the righteous restorer, the righteous redeemer of the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the nations who are seeing the work that the Lord is doing through His people are coming back to Him. And in the same sense, because the Jewish people are seeing the nations coming with a Ruth-like heart saying, uh, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. The nation of Israel today, the Jewish people today, are rapidly turning their hearts back to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but this is an a exciting time to live in because we recognize that Yeshua says he will not come back until all Israel proclaims And although as we're looking around the world throughout the last several decades, we can see countless prophecies, uh, end-time prophecies seeming to be fulfilled, including the majority of Matthew 24 that appears to be occurring all around us, the reality is I fervently believe that all end-time or all biblical prophecy hinges upon the nation of Israel. And what's really interesting is all of these things we've seen happening all around the globe for the last several decades, like earthquakes, wildfires, natural disasters, uh, and so on that are happening, wars and rumors of wars, now they're starting to concentrate on Israel too. And we're watching as earthquakes and natural disasters and wildfires are spreading. Uh, granted, those wildfires were started by Gaza. That's a whole other story. Uh, but these wildfires are spreading in Israel. And, uh, and we're watching wars and rumors of wars as Israel's facing a multifaceted uh, potential war. They've got uh, the, the Palestinians in Gaza that are attacking constantly. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds of rockets day in and day out bombarding uh, the, the, the southern border of Israel on, on the, the Gazan border. Uh, we're watching as from Syria, uh, the, the Syrian uh, uh, terror, terrorists, uh, Islamists in Syria are starting to, to edge closer to, uh, to Israel's border and, and cause problems there. We're watching as Iran is building up their military presence in Syria, trying to draw closer to the Israeli border, trying to amass war against Israel. I don't think it'll be long before we start to see Jordan's relationship with Israel, Egypt's relationship with Israel, and so on start to dilapidate some and and more things happen. And the scripture tells us in the end that all the nations of the world are going to amass war against Israel. So no matter what we think, no matter how we see things happening, this is the reality of God's word. And I believe, and I hope that you do as well, that God's word is true and no word comes back unfulfilled. And if we see scripture saying what scripture says about the end time prophetic reality, we're going to see these things happen, whether we like it or not. And I've told people before, look, I have a hard time when we as believers say out of one side of our mouth, we need to pray that Messiah comes back soon, and out the other side of our mouth say we need to pray against these things that are happening in the world around us today, because we can't have it both ways. We either believe in the Word of God and trust that in order for Messiah to return, all of these really horrible things have to happen first, or we don't want to see Messiah return in our days. We, we can't have it both ways. It can't be, okay, Messiah, come and set your feet upon the Mount of Olives, but let everything still be happy, go lucky, peaceful around us. You know, let all the nations hold hands and sing kubaya so the Messiah can descend upon. That's not what happens. It's not what the word says is going to happen. And so as we're looking at Israel today, we're watching as these prophetic realities are beginning to unfold before our very eyes. And I truly believe that we are living in the days in which 
the words that are prophesied throughout Isaiah that are not just a one-time uh, reality and fulfillment that, that God will restore and bring Israel back. As a matter of fact, we literally see it happening twice. We see it after the Babylonian captivity, and we've seen it in the last century as the Lord has called the nation of Israel back and reestablished the nation of Israel. But I wholeheartedly believe that they also have a spiritual implication to these promises as well, that there will be a literal prophetic and spiritual revival and restoration and redemption and, and repentance of the nation of Israel as our brothers and sisters, the Jewish people's hearts are opened up to the reality of Messiah, of Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel. And when we look at, for instance, John 4, this is the, the passage about the Samaritan woman at the well, and Yeshua sits down and speaks to her. In, uh, in verse uh, uh, 7, it says, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, give me a drink, Yeshua says to her, for the disciples had gone away to the town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman tells her, how is it that you, a Jew, asks me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For the Jewish people don't deal with the Samaritans. Yeshua replied to her, if you knew the gift of God uh, and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Reminds us of Isaiah 55, right? He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman tells him, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Then from where do you get these living waters? Uh, you're, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? you gave, who, he gave us this well. He drank out of it himself with his sons and his cattle. Yeshua replied to her, Everyone who drinks from the waters, will, this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become a fountain of water within him, springing up to eternal life. And these waters that Yeshua was speaking of are the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And we recognize the outpouring of these waters in Acts 2 and Acts 10 and so on and carrying on throughout the history of the body of Messiah that these waters have continued to be poured out upon his people, that the Lord has continued to pour them out. And as we look at the next verse, verse 15 says, Sir, the woman tells him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty or have to come all the way here to draw water again. Now, she still doesn't get it. She's still focused on the physical water while Yeshua is speaking of a spiritual reality. Verse 16, he tells her, go call your husband and then come back here. She says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Yeshua tells her, you've said it right. You have no husband, but you have had five. And the man you, uh, and, and the man you have now isn't your husband. This you've spoken truthfully. Sir, the woman tells her, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you all say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Yeshua tells her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We will worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so the Lord tells her, look, if you would recognize who is standing before you, if you would recognize who this is, you would have asked me for waters. And I would have given you waters of life that never run dry. I would have given you maim chaim, living waters that never run dry. But you didn't. And she goes, okay, well, listen, that sounds awesome. So how about you give me these waters now? How do I get this? Where do I go to get this waters? And he says, no, no, you still don't get it. He says, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your evil ways, right? He says, go get your husband and come back. Yeshua knew the scenario. I mean, it's clear. He goes to expound upon her situation in just a second. But he goes, go get your husband and come back. And I'll tell you that again. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He says, oh, you're right, you've had five, and now the dude you're shacked up with isn't your husband either, but uh, you know, it doesn't seem to stop you. And he says, but you need to stop this. Turn from your evil ways and, and come back, just like he says to the woman caught in adultery. He says, go and sin no more. 
These are the words Yeshua tells to us. Go and sin no more. Come to me in restoration and redemption. I will give you the waters of life. I will give you my Ruach HaKodesh, my Holy Spirit, so that you go and sin no more. And it's important for us to understand why the waters of life are so important, why that Holy Spirit is so important, because we look to Yeshua and the blood and the atonement of Messiah for our salvation, for the remission of sin, so that we can be wholly brought into the, the truth and the reality of the kingdom of God. But why is it so important that we be infilled with the dwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh? Ephesians 1 verse uh, 13 uh, and 14 tells us exactly why. After you heard this message of truth, the good news of your salvation, and when you put your trust in Him, you were sealed with the promised Ruach HaKodesh the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of his possession to his glorious people. We need these waters of life because the fullness of all things hasn't occurred yet. In Matthew 5, Yeshua says, not one jot or tittle will be washed away from the Torah until all things are complete. Are we sitting at the feet of the Heavenly Father right now in his eternal kingdom? Are we in the new heaven, new Jerusalem at this very moment? Then all things aren't complete. All things aren't complete, so we still need the living waters, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Maim Chaim, the, the Holy Spirit in our lives as a guarantee of our inheritance that is awaiting us, the new heaven, new Jerusalem. We can look back historically at the physical nation of Israel and God's restoration not once but twice of the physical nation of Israel as a promise, a foreshadowing of what will occur when the new heaven, new Jerusalem descend upon the earth and we are restored for all eternity in the kingdom of Messiah. But the reality is that we need the Maim Chaim, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the living waters that will never run dry to continue to inspire and to uplift us, to continue to draw us in repentance because even though we're saved and even though we are bought by the blood of the Lamb and even though we are filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, we are still human and we will still fail at some point. Odds are some of us more often than others and those that fall in the, the others category, you're just lying to yourself because you're worse than the others anyways. <laughs> at some point, we're going to mess this whole thing up anyways. And that inheritance, the, the, the promise, the guarantee of that inheritance is there to constantly be pulling us back from the inside now. See, Israel was kicked out of the promised land and, and Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed by the Babylonians so that Israel externally could be restored to the Lord. But the Spirit of God was given to us so that you and I could continually be restored internally. Because now His name is not only written upon the city of Yerushalayim, of Jerusalem here on earth, and literally upon the, the, the new Jerusalem in heaven. But now his very presence, his literal Shekhinah, his divine glory, and the presence of Yeshua Mashiach, the word made flesh, now resides within our hearts. Our hearts have now become a part of the living Jerusalem. It is all the more important that we as believers in Messiah recognize the weight of the words of Isaiah 55 and the living waters and John 4 and John 7, these living waters that Yeshua speaks of, the Ruach HaKodesh, because that Holy Spirit is what is going to constantly remind us of what is awaiting us. When it looks like the world around us and everything going on in the world around us looks so much more fun, so much better than what we're dealing with on a regular basis, and odds are it's probably true on the external because when we look at the world around us, they don't have the enemy crapping all over them like we do, right? But a large part of that's because they're not walking with the Lord, so the enemy doesn't have any reason to go mess with them. You and I are a threat to his kingdom. He's going to continue to mess with us. 
And if he's not messing with you, you probably want to listen to that living waters that's calling you back in repentance because you're not really fulfilling what the Lord wants you to do. If you're not a threat to the kingdom of the enemy, then you're not really doing anything for the kingdom of God. And so as we look at the word of God, he gives us his Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKodesh, the Maim Chaim, the living waters, as a guarantee of the inheritance that is awaiting us in the new Jerusalem so that while we are here on this earth, while we are here walking in the diaspora here in the Jewish community outside of Israel, while we are here serving uh, the Lord in the world that we recognize and live in now, we have an eternal longing from the inside, from the internal, for what is awaiting us in the eternal. And it's important for us to understand this because the reason that we are here today the reason we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, the reason we have the Holy One of Israel who has redeemed and restored us, the reason His Spirit resides within us isn't for you and I. It's not for our own benefit. So that the world may know who sent us. It's so that the world may know what the salvation of Yeshua is. It's so that the world may be drawn in restoration to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's so that the world around us may have their eyes open to the fact that there really is a God who created all and who loves us and who cherishes a relationship with us. It's so that the nations around us will come to know the Lord and drive the Jewish people to jealousy for their God so that they in turn will come back to the Lord and be a light to the nations so that all the world will be blessed by the seed of Abraham. That seed is the literal person of Yeshua Mashiach, who resides within your and my heart. And it's important that we understand this message of restoration, of redemption. See, I think these Haftaroth of Consolation, these seven messages of Isaiah uh, that we read between Tishbav and, and, and Rosh Hashanah are highly important. Because it's God constantly reminding us of his faithfulness, of his compassion, in spite of who we are and what we often put him through. I think about my own children and how even when I have to punish them, my desire immediately is to turn and give them a hug and tell them, look, I still love you. I know you totally jacked it all up right here, but I still love you. I still love you. I still want to uh, have you in my life. I still want to share my life with you. And this is what the Lord is constantly saying to us. Look, you're definitely messing it all up right now, but I want you to come back. And those living waters are constantly tugging our hearts to come back to him so that the world around us may see the reality of God's presence in our lives. Look, we get hung up a lot of times on what the enemy's doing to us. And a lot of times we give him way more ground than he deserves or than he is even fighting for because we're more focused on what he's doing than on what the Lord's trying to do through us that's causing him to attack us so much. We spend more time asking the Lord to protect us from the enemy's attack than we do going, okay, God, give me the strength to endure this so I can continue to do whatever it is you're leading me into. So that I continue to walk in what you've got in store. Look, the Lord's, are, he knows what the enemy's trying to do. He knows all. He sees all. He's everywhere at once. He's fully aware of what the enemy's trying to do in our hearts and our lives. He is absolutely alert to the situation. It's no surprise to him. We don't have to tell him about the enemy's attack because he knows he's watching it. He's protecting us from the full force of the enemy's attack. And what he wants us to do is to go, okay, Lord, I don't really care what this hunk of mess back here is trying to do to me. Where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do today? Whose life do you have in store for me to change today? What do you want to use me for today? So I want to encourage you today as we...
continue in preparation for the days of awe, the ten days of awe from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur as we prepare for Sukkot, which is a, uh, a foreshadowing of the wedding feast of the Lamb when we will be gathered under the chuppah with our Messiah for, uh, for eternity. As we look at everything that is laying ahead of us in the Mo'adim, the full Mo'adim, the appointed days, the high holy days, I want you to be encouraged by the reality that in spite of what the enemy means for your destruction, the Lord will turn around for his good. And it's important that we trust that word. We trust the faithfulness of God because although there may be destruction waiting around the corner, if it happens, we still need to trust that the Lord is in control and that that's not from him, that's from the enemy and that the Lord has something better and greater on the other end of it for us. We need to stop giving the enemy ground in our lives that he doesn't deserve and he's not fighting for. We need to stop giving him credit for things that he doesn't have ability to do in our lives. And we need to recognize that the Lord wants nothing more to use us in spite of what the enemy is trying to do. Look, our lives here on earth, we're going to run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of trials, all kinds of tribulations. It's just the reality of living in a fallen world. But it's how we respond to and through those situations that the world will see God in us or not see God in us through. And it's important for us to recognize as we move towards the season of repentance that the Lord is calling us day in and day out, not just on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, not just on the 10 days of awe, not just as we're throwing the breadcrumbs and the water on Tashlich, but day in and day out in repentance because every day we're going to mess something up. And if you're not aware of that, it's because you're blind to the idiocy that is our lives as humanity. We're going to mess something up. It's just the reality of it. But the Lord is continually, faithfully, compassionately calling us back. And now we have those maim chaim, those living waters that are tugging us from the inside instead of just an external outward force trying to remind us. I want you to understand the Lord loves you. He desires nothing more than a relationship with you. For you to recognize him as your father, as your Abba, as your daddy, as an intimate part of your life. He wants nothing more than to use you for the good of his kingdom. And he's placed his spirit within you for that purpose. And it's time that we walk faithfully in the reality of what the Lord has done, which is exactly what he wanted from Israel for years, is that Israel walks faithfully in the reality of what he has done for us. And we're watching today as our people are coming back day by day, day by day. And I'm telling you, the Israel revival is breaking out and that's exciting to me because that means we're that much closer to the fulfillment of requirements necessary for Mashiach to return and for us to finally see the new heaven, new Jerusalem descend upon the earth. There's a lot of really bad things that has to happen in between. So you might as well go ahead and get ready, get your seatbelts tight, make sure your airbags are ready, make sure everything's in order. Things are going to get messy from here. But we have something greater to await on the other end. And we have His Spirit in our lives. His Spirit dwells within us as a guarantee of what is awaiting us on the other side of the mess that's about to happen. Amen? Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for your loving compassion. I thank you for your continual and eternal call back unto you. And Father, I thank you that we recognize that your salvation was poured out freely for all. 
Lord, I pray that you awaken with us in us a boldness to share the truth of your salvation with everyone we come into contact with. Awaken us with a boldness to walk in the power of your Ruach HaKodesh so that we may see countless people, both of the nation of, of Israel, the Jewish people, coming to faith and, uh, and of those of the nations, nations that we have not known that did not know us, coming back to you in faithfulness through the work of Messiah Yeshua that you were showing through our lives. And Father, I pray that you continue to encourage us and uplift us as we look to the days that lay ahead of us and the things that are bound to happen as we move forward and encourage us to continue to walk faithfully with you and in you that our lives and our hearts and our words will shine forth the light of Messiah Yeshua. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen, Amen.